0: Crush your enemies. They drew first blood, not me. See them driven before
1: you? Oh, my user. They hear a the lamentation of their women. But I pity the fool.
0: Glitter in the dark near the 10 a gate. Phone home. They're here. I oh, real light sleeper, child. Yeah!
1: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm
2: Jesse Bayless.
1: And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Madman, released January 15th, 1982. It was written by Joe Giannone, based on a story by Giannone and Gary Sayles, directed by Giannone, and released by Jensen Farley Pictures, who we previously saw for Private Lessons and The Boogins. Co-story writers Gianoni and Sales were classmates at Richmond College and in the wake of John Carpenter's Halloween wanted to jump on the profitable horror movie craze and started developing a screenplay based on the famous Cropsy Maniac. Giannone adapted the story into a script entitled Madman the Legend Lives while Sales, as his name would suggest, went around raising production funds, ultimately connecting with producer Sam Marion. Early in pre-production, as actors came in to audition for the Cropsy story, several pointed out similarities to a script they had recently read for. Eventually, one girl mentioned her boyfriend was actually cast in another Cropsy movie filming upstate, and so they figured out the production company, got their hands on a script, and learned that Harvey Weinstein's The Burning was in fact a direct adaptation of the Cropsy legend. Unfortunately, their production was about five weeks ahead, so the Madman people had to make significant changes or risk coming in second place to a better-made film adapted from the same legend.
2: They don't know necessarily that it's better made.
1: Well, they knew that Tom Zavini was doing the effects for
2: it. Right. So, I mean, it was likely going to be better Mm -hmm. And it was definitely (laughs) bigger budget. They knew that. Right, Yeah
1: around the same time a frank sinatra tour entitled frank sinatra the legend lives had just kicked off and so the title was shortened from madman the legend lives to simply madman for the part of max the friendly harbinger they had sought vincent price but could not commit him to a non-union project many of the remaining cast and crew were first-time actors or worked under a pseudonym to avoid breaking union rules the film shot on fish cove in southampton long island an entire camp was rented out for the production, and they all the whole crew and cast stayed at the camp for, for the duration.
3: Oh, that makes things easy.
1: Yeah. The finished film sat unreleased for most of a year until it was acquired by Jensen Farley Pictures, who rolled it out regionally. Finally spreading to multiple markets in January of 82, the final box office amounted to $1.35 million. The New York death grind band Mortician has a song called Madman Mars on their album Reanimated Dead Flesh, that samples from this film's trailer. Madman. There's a really great interview on the Gruesome Herzog podcast where the host talks with Gary Sales and Madman Mars actor Paul Ellers, who tells a story about how the film was essentially unknown between its release and around 2006, when suddenly the kids who'd grown up with it were writing horror articles and hosting horror podcasts, and his phone started <laughs> ringing off the hook. A group of Madman fans met with him for an interview at his home and when they left at the end of the night he thought it would be funny to chase them down the driveway with an axe and they told him it was a deep-rooted nightmare from their childhood that Madman Mars would come after them with an axe that way. He sounds very appreciative of what this film brought to his life because, I mean, he didn't really work beyond mm-hmm. this film. He, he was not an actor by trade and so um, it, it was just a bright point in his life when he's like, oh, people care about this thing I did a long time ago. That's neat. And he actually has done a few more very low budget horror movies since then where people were just like oh we gotta have Madman mars in this thing around the 30th anniversary a documentary was produced entitled the legend still lives 30 years of madman about the making of the film i watched it yesterday and it was interesting to hear from a lot of the cast about their recollections but there's really not a whole lot to it but i did like uh, they revisit the shooting locations and they actually find the same tree from the film's climactic lynching scene which they identified because it still had the support chains hanging in the branches (laughs) 30 years later. A sequel, Hunt the Madman, about the relatives of the first film's victims teaming up to hunt down the madman, was shopped around for years but hasn't evolved beyond the script stage. If there's even a completed script. Right. Unclear. We start with a silhouette of the woods filled in with red and the word madman comes flying out before credits roll by. Punctuated at the end with a bit of exposition. It all started during a campfire at North Sea Cottages a special retreat for gifted children. And can I just say how disappointed I was that not one of these kids has superpowers (laughs) of any kind? Mm -hmm.
2: Well, I might have some arguments of the children aspect of this. Yeah, yeah it's
1: very weird. <laughs> the silhouette of the trees dissolves to the actual woods and we see adults and children huddled together around a campfire. Mostly adults. Yeah. I think we see one actual bona fide mm-hmm. child.
2: I mean it feels like it was like a oops all counselors box of Captain Crunch. Yeah. I don't really like like I can't... There are
1: kids who look like counselors that are yeah. actually kids.
2: Okay. But, like, I feel at most – I feel like in this scene I saw one that I definitely could identify as a kid. There's one <laughs>
1: little girl. There's yeah. one
2: little girl, and that's it in in the campfire there's
1: scene. There's one other kid here. Yeah, there's a little that boy. That plays a big part in this oh, scene. Oh, I guess
2: the guy that – okay, but he doesn't look childlike Correct. enough.
1: He looks just as old as all the counselors.
2: He looks as old as all the counselors. So there's two children in right. this scene. And then in the grand total of the whole scheme of the movie, I feel like there might be five? There's, we,
1: there's six total.
2: But we see them so rarely yeah. that I'm really confused about, like, at what point in this camp are we? Because you have more counselors than you have children. No, they
1: have exactly one counselor per child okay. for some reason. <laughs> the and there's literally three guy counselors for the three guy campers, and there's three girl counselors for the three girl <laughs> campers. We get a quick insert of a monster hand gripping the bark of a nearby tree, but everyone is distracted by a man named TP singing a seemingly improvised song to no instrumental, (laughs) and it just comes off as extremely awkward. Mm.
0: On the night of the fifth, when nothing could save them, there was no protection from the darkness
1: and the doom. Apparently, actor Tony Nunziata was only given the lyrics one day before shooting the scene. The lyrics tell the story of a madman hunting a group of victims, and as TP dances around the fire, grabbing hold of the other campers, we dissolve in and out of footage of them from later in the film looking terrified and occasionally even being attacked by the madman. It's like, why are we spoiling every single person's death in the opening scene?
3: Yeah, it's like a Mission Impossible style kind of opening. It's like, oh, okay, so... I mean, is it foreshadowing if it's definitely going to happen? I don't know. In exactly the way they show it? Yeah, after
1: the first few came true, it's like, I guess those were all clips from later. At the end of the song, an older camper, Max, says it's his turn. And Max is actually, like, the owner of this whole camp. Right. He tells them the story of a man who used to live in the abandoned home that they can see from here. But weirdly, he's launching into a story about the same guy that the song was just about. Mm -hmm. They pretend like it's two different scary stories, but they're talking about the same case. The man who used to live here was a farmer with a wife and kids. He was an angry drunk with a bitten-off nose until the night he killed his family with an axe. I mean, I guess he probably stayed an angry drunk with a (laughs) bitten-off nose. As he tells the story, we see it reenacted in POVs and inserts. Sleeping children's skulls are bashed in with an axe. Thinking back to the night, something occurs to Max. Wait a minute. Now that I think about it, it was the same night as tonight wait, did this happen tonight? (laughs) If not, then you should have said, On a night just like tonight.
0: Why, tonight's the anniversary.
1: Worst accident (laughs) accident I have ever seen. After killing his family, the crazed farmer walked to the bar and ordered a drink with the bloody axe laid out in front of him. When the people learned what happened, a lynch mob was formed, and they left him hanging from a tree overnight, even slashing open his face with the same axe as he hung. In the morning, all they found was a broken noose. Even the bodies of his family were nowhere to be found. And much like Hell Night, I kept expecting these bodies to show up around every corner. They take their sweet time.
2: They do
3: show up, though.
1: They do, eventually. Yeah. Richie loudly calls BS on this detail, suggesting it's impossible that this killer might have buried his family in some undiscovered grave.
3: Yeah, he's like, he's like, how could the bodies have never been found? It's like, I think there are unsolved yeah. murders all the time. <laughs>
1: Isn't that a of pretty thing? Of all the details thing? of this story, yeah.
2: that's the one you have an issue with. <laughs> he,
1: he, he probably survived in a noose all night and then there's no way he buried anyone. What? That's not the supernatural part. He demands to know the man's name so he can Google it later, presumably. <laughs> Much later. <laughs> but Max warns him that the killer still stalks these woods. It is said also that if you say his name
0: above a whisper in the woods, He will hear you, because he can be anywhere, anytime. And if he hears you call his name, he'll come for you. And if he comes for you, he'll get you. One by one, you'll start to fall before night's over. I'll get you all
1: his name is Madman Mars? I guess he doesn't pronounce the Z the second time. Mm. It's like, Madman Mars, And then you hear a little girl's voice go, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that.
0: What did he say? I couldn't hear
1: him. His name is Mars. Madman Mars. If you don't say his whole name yeah. correctly, it doesn't you work. You can say Mars first and then Madman, mm-hmm. but if you say Mars again after, you have to take the Z off. Or else you're fucked. Richie decides to play it cool and starts shouting to the invisible killer to come get him if he's so real.
0: Hey Mars! Madman Mars! Here we are come and get us madman!
1: He hucks a huge rock through the window of Mars' home. Richie's outburst seems to worry Max and scares a lot of the younger kids who believe an axe murderer will chase them down for this.
0: He didn't mean it Mars! He's young and foolish! And doesn't know what he's doing! Stay where you are, we mean you no harm.
1: Let's hope that stopped him in time. If not, no one is safe in the woods tonight. He tells them all that Mars is practically invisible in these woods, and the only sign he is upon you is a deathly stench. He closes storytelling time and informs them that he'll be leaving the camp soon, but he's enjoyed his time with them this year. He also mentions that All their parents are going to come back for the weekend, and it's the weekend before Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Okay,
2: I had a big problem with this. So this
1: is fall camp.
2: But it's summer camp, but also... No,
1: it's winter camp?
2: I don't understand. I don't understand. They're coming for Thanksgiving, but this is supposed to be a summer camp.
1: Right, I don't get it. But maybe that's why there's only six of them. (laughs) Because people are like, wait, what is this that we're signing up for? (laughs) Before they leave the campfire circle, he shares an important warning that we've heard before. And remember don't walk in the woods alone cause the madman mars will get you that's right so i guess shouting his name above a whisper is just fine now yeah yeah do you guys recall the last time we were told not to go in the woods alone
2: was it don't go in the woods
1: don't go in the woods (laughs) aka don't go in the woods alone (laughs) that's the other title (laughs) never 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 Go in the woods, alone. As everyone heads in for the night, Betsy tries to explain to one of the kids that Mars is just a ghost story and not a real threat here. Weirdly, when T.P. passes to flirt with Betsy, she's mad at him for scaring the children when he is neither the man who shared the brutal true crime story nor the camper who intentionally summoned the wrath of the madman. He's persistent because camp is over soon, but she's not budging. Stacy notices their disagreement and intervenes to suggest T.P. give Betsy a break to come to him on her own. The camper split up as Max leads the girls back to the camp, while TP and the boys put out the fire. Richie, the camper who dared Mars to attack them, spots the silhouette of a man high in the branches above them. Apparently, the madman actor Paul Ellers was actually up in this tree and kept almost falling out of it because he was wearing fake feet for a part of his <laughs> costume, even though you don't even see his feet. Yeah, in I, st- was I st- don't say, think uh, that's
3: necessary. He could have worn full-on
1: boots and I wouldn't have noticed. Right. When the boys start marching back to camp, Richie hangs back to investigate.
3: Okay, hold on. And they are literally like marching. quick time harching like their way <laughs> through the woods. Yeah, I don't get why this is necessary. I don't either.
1: Richie watches Mars slowly creep down from his perch and then walks right into the abandoned house in the woods. Inside, we see a monster hand light a candle. As Richie wanders around inside, we see the same clawed and scaly hand smash the candle out. Yeah. I don't know why this keeps happening.
2: <laughs> why did you light the candle? Yeah, and then not light the candle. I just
1: like smashing them.
3: <laughs> He's trying to do that scene from Lawrence of Arabia where he yeah. puts it out with his fingers. He's really bad at it. Just, yeah.
1: Richie moves upstairs and Mars kicks his way out of the basement doors. TP gets the whole way back to camp without ever realizing he lost one of the kids. He wants to go bother Betsy, but he sees Stacy heading to her cabin. Stacy asks what Betsy's intentions are with TP and applauds her for recognizing him as a possessive male. They agree to share numbers and stay in touch when camp is over. TP stops by Max's cabin. Outside, we see an ax buried in a tree stump, and TP asks if Max's offer still stands to pay 100 bucks to whoever can pull it out. I actually like the imagery of the hole. Axe Scalibur routine. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't play enough of a part in the rest of the film. Yeah. Max even offers to help him dislodge the tool, but their combined strength still doesn't do the trick. That even if it did, would Max pay the prize to someone if they needed his help to pull it out?
3: Well, also, uh, that handle would have
1: just snapped. Right. Like
3: the, the, the two men pulling yeah, on this yeah, little exactly. branch.
1: Yeah.
3: It's not the freaking mule near. Unless the
1: whole thing is cast in bronze and it's just a shitty joke. Oh, okay. TP tries to recruit the camp cook, Dippy, to help too, but he's not interested and Max tells him it's time to give up.
0: Maybe, but I don't like losing.
1: Losing, winning, what's the difference? Play the game
0: with a fair heart and you'll always be able to look yourself in the mirror. Play too hard to win and you might not like what you become.
1: You become a winner, that's what you become. We cut back to Chef Dippy and Stacy blows a toot on her flute. She wakes him and informs him that the whiskey he was drinking from is empty. So he stands to get another bottle, but when he opens the liquor pantry, Madman Mars leaps out and slashes open his throat.
2: I was so disappointed. This was like the first character in the whole film. I'm like, I like this guy. Yeah, yeah this guy seems uh, he's interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> back in Richie's cabin, his roommates are worried that he still hasn't returned, and so conspire to make his bed and cover for him until he gets back got to give him more time to get back richie knows what he's doing i don't get that impression
3: y- yeah also make his bed that like like you like stuff a pillow under the sheets to make yeah. it look like he's or are you just there? gonna
1: clean it up so that it's really obvious he's not sleeping in it
3: yeah and also who's looking
1: yeah like nobody T- checks the bed <laughs> T-
3: tp is the counselor who's in charge he already
1: knows he's missing. He basically sacrificed richie to mars already we cut back to richie crawling around in the attic of the mars house Maybe the trick to surviving these slasher films is to go to what seems like the most dangerous place because the killer would never expect to find you here. We see monster hands Mars light up another candle. Downstairs we hear some juicy stabbing sounds and we see Mars's feet stumbling around in the candlelight. Mars lifts a coiled noose off a hook and we cut back upstairs where Richie is still exploring. Richie sees Mars run across his own yard noose in hand. Very rare for the killer to have unseen stalkers in these kinds of movies. Usually the POV is to watch the victims yeah, yeah, yeah. from the killer's right, right. perspective, not the other way around. We cut to a meeting of the counselors with the camp's apparent owner, Max. He thanks them again for a successful season, and Betsy brings up her concern that the younger kids are a little too frightened by his ghost stories. He suggests that next season, the younger campers might be excluded from the campfire tradition to avoid giving them traumatic nightmares.
2: So instead, take all the counselors down to a campfire and, and leave, leave three the children t- alone. unattended children? Yeah.
1: No, I think you just leave all the counselors for their camp back at the, in the cabins also. Nowadays, I think she'd be like, Max, I think we should talk about the songs and stuff because the younger campers were saying it was ultra cringe mm. and it was really uncomfortable.
2: So chuggy.
1: Is that a new thing? Yeah. <laughs> is that really a thing? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> It'll be over by the time this posts.
2: I think it already is over. What is chuggy? Chuggy. It's chuggy? like- Chuggy? Yeah, like- old and cringy okay like us us we're chuggy (laughs) is
1: that what we are max says that he has to drive into town to collect shutters to close up the camp and play a few games of cards do you guys recall the last time when the camp's owner had to drive into town for supplies and left all the counselors alone on the property on the worst possible night
3: i'm gonna say friday the 13th yeah that's right Uh,
1: (laughs) max asks if they need anything and betsy implies that she needs to get laid but that max can't help dave sees an opportunity (laughs)
0: Down, girl. You'll be back in the big city in a day or two. You can get anything you want there.
1: Hold it. (laughs) I'm getting a bit too old for this kind of talk. I'm leaving. Max excuses himself from this horniness and tells them that he found the beer he told them not to bring to camp and he wants them to save him one. After Max leaves, TP takes the opportunity to apologize to everyone for his behavior earlier. They all applaud the gesture and he closes with a toast. I propose a toast. To friends and friendship to love and lovers may you always have more than you need more love or more lovers <laughs> you just have extra <laughs> lovers hanging out
2: but it's such is so the clapping is so awkward yeah it's
1: very weird <laughs> we hard cut right from the apology to the apology working really well <laughs> tp and betsy are stripping around a jacuzzi to the tune of a song sung by tony nunziata the actor playing tp here one of two original songs written by the film's co-story writer Gary Sayles.
0: If you're gonna ask why is this, why is
1: that, it's up to you. It's not a great song, but it makes for a very amusing scene. Amongst the Batman-esque undressing inserts, we get a good look at TP's giant belt buckle emblazoned with his nickname initials. The courtship ritual starts with the two of them <laughs> swirling around the spa after each other. Mm-hmm. They meet for a spinning kiss in the center, and we hard cut to Madman POV with one of those digital stings. Bam! Gotta, <laughs> gotta
2: stir the sexy stew. Yeah, a little exactly. Yeah, you, tornado you, you,
1: going yeah. in there.
3: Get yourself a stew going. <laughs> Thro, throws all the bad stuff out towards the edge. Yeah. And stay in the center.
1: Centrifugal fucks. <laughs> <laughs> We cut back to Richie in the woods, decidedly not knowing what he's doing. Where am I?
2: What is he doing? I don't
1: Don't know. Because somehow he loops back around. It's like, isn't there a coastline you could be following? How stupid are you to get lost at a camp that's on the lake? Yeah. Why
2: did he even go to the house? I mean, I guess just to look around?
1: I guess. And then he wandered away from it and then accidentally back to it later. (laughs) What are you doing? Out by the lake, we see Stacy playing her flute in a canoe at the water's edge and then climbing up a hill with surprising difficulty. It's not super steep, but the music lets us know she's having a tough time.
3: <laughs> but I will say this. Uh, the night photography is very well done yeah. for this movie.
1: It, like... got a, it got a really nice retransfer mm-hmm. lately. Then we see Mars is just behind her having the same trouble with this minor grade of a hill. She reaches the top and steps just out of his reach, and then turns to blow a raspberry at physics, apparently. <laughs> so she doesn't know there's a serial killer right here. We cut to a flaming fireplace and a counselor double date. Billy, Dave, Ellie, and Stacy are laying on the floor with their heads crisscrossed in a row. Dave takes the opportunity to get weird. I'm assuming they're all tripping balls right now, too.
3: Yeah, it right?
1: Yeah. He sets his sight on harshing everybody's buzz. <laughs> he stands up to monologue to his friends about how little they actually know him, and that for all they know, he's a complete psychopath here to murder them when they least expect it.
0: Dave, are you okay? Of course, it. Yeah. I'm letting my emotions overcome my
1: intellect. He flicks open a knife and stalks slowly toward them. I could take
0: your bodies one at a time and hide them so no one would ever find them. I could chop
1: off your head. (laughs) Everyone laughs. This final explosive outburst seems a sufficient punchline and everyone is very amused. Really annoying, by the way, that almost every character in this whole movie, their name ends with e.
3: I was that was like
1: a note I was going to make later. In the entire named cast, there's literally two characters who don't have e at the end of their name, like the sound e, not just the letter. Mm-hmm. It's Dave and Max, but Dave's name ends with an e. Yeah, <laughs> just, they just don't call him Davy. But it's literally Richie, Billy, Ellie. What's the little girl's name? I can't remember the little girl's name.
3: Well, it was like yeah, it's Betsy, T P, Stacy. Ellie, Richie, Dippy, Tommy,
1: Jimmy, Mary, Shirley, Jeannie. It's insane. It's like it's on purpose, and yet Dave is just Dave. Were you worried about Richie, by the way? Well, have no fear. He's still in the woods. Yeah. And we watch him wandering around for another couple minutes.
3: Half of my notes are Richie is still lost in the woods. (laughs) Yep.
1: That's it. And he's just getting a little bit dirtier every time we see him. Suddenly caring about doing his job properly, T.P. checks into the boys' cabin, asking after Richie the wise guy. True to their agreement, nobody mentions that he never came back from the campfire.
3: To who? He's the one who knows. Does he know?
1: No, he doesn't know. T.P. I... TP knows that Richie's not there. He d- he found out just now when he went to the cabin and he wasn't there. He was supposed to lead all the boys back to mm-hmm. the camp, and he never turned around and looked to see who was following
3: But him. wasn't he telling him to, to, put, like, to make it look like he was there?
2: No, that, no,
1: the the kids said okay, they were going to do that on their own. This is the
2: other problem with this movie. Not only does that kid that like shouted out Mad Max's name by the campfire mm-hmm. not look like a kid, he looks like TP. They both look the same and in these But the one who said shots,
1: that is not either of them oh really yeah because neither one of them was in the cabin that was the two other boys that went back okay said oh we got to make his bed look real so that tp doesn't know that he never came back
3: okay see i thought i thought it was tp saying that so that max no max isn't
1: gonna check max is going into the city
3: yeah that's that's what i was saying i I don't understand why you're trying to make fool anybody
1: Uh, yeah but tp also never checks to make sure until just now when there's actual like problems afoot TP tells Betsy he's gonna go look for Richie by himself, and she advises him to bring others. He says if he can't find the kid, he'll come back for reinforcements. Betsy reminds TP to be careful out there, but then just as he leaves, she sees the shadow of a giant leather-faced looking dude wandering the camp. She doesn't bother chasing after her boyfriend to inform him of the presence of a stranger in their midst. TP?
2: Nothing, it's okay. Be careful.
1: Careful around what? You didn't see a giant maniac running around with a noose, (laughs) did you? We cut back to Madman POV for a moment, and then we see the other two campers we've been neglecting. Billy and Ellie. The two who say their name the least often. (laughs) Evidently, he confessed to her earlier today that he's considering dropping out of school to be with her, and she asks if he was being serious. She suggests they take advantage of the nearby lake on this beautiful night, but he is less patient.
0: Let's go for a swim. I have a better idea.
1: They begin kissing and move back to her tent. TP stands in the woods, calling out loudly to the missing camper, Richie. Something moves through his flashlight beam and he mistakes it for the kid.
0: that you, Richie? Come on, Richie. Come on out, I know you're in there, Richie. Come on
1: out, Richie. I'd know that straggly gray hair anywhere. (laughs) It's definitely you, 600-pound Richie, with a noose in the woods. He continues following the shape through the trees until he catches a whiff of cadaver. It smells like this. A noose wraps around his neck. Madman Mars drags T.P. through the grass as he struggles to free his neck from the noose. Mars tosses the rope over a branch and lifts T.P. high into a tree. When T.P. still struggles against his fate, gripping the branch above him, Mars approaches and throws one of his crazy ape arms up to yank down on T.P.'s belt buckle and snap his neck. Mars lets out a muffled grunt as he walks away from TP's gallows. Back in the office where TP told Betsy to wait, she's playing He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not with torn up construction paper somehow. (laughs) It's like, didn't you count these out as you were making them? Yeah,
3: yeah, you made this so you should know what's. He loves me.
1: As if I didn't know. Betsy goes to speak with Stacy and Dave about TP's disappearance. Stacy accuses Betsy of behaving irrationally until she confesses for the first time to seeing a stranger wandering the camp, and Dave thinks she's embellishing her story because she's especially worried. He agrees to go look for her boyfriend.
0: No need to make up any more stories for the dramatic effect. I'm not making up any story.
1: He tells the girls to stick together and promises to find TP in a hurry. One, two, three, he says. As Dave steps out to the tree line, the camera turns to focus on Axe Scalibur in its immortal tree stump, and then a monster hand reaches into frame, gripping the handle and tearing the legendary weapon from its nest. The Axe Maniac continues groaning indecipherably as though through a rubber Halloween mask. (laughs) Madman's POV follows Dave through the woods. He fruitlessly calls to the darkness for TP. TP!
0: You out there? TP!
1: There's so much time spent on just him looking different directions and waving his flashlight around. We see the axe over his shoulder in one shot. He finds a flashlight in one shot. Finally, he comes upon TP's body. Unknowingly, at first, we just see TP's feet dangling over his shoulder. He doesn't waste much time checking for signs of life, though. He just runs and hides behind another tree stump. In his position, my first thought might be that he and Betsy had some kind of argument and he came out here to kill himself, Mm -hmm. but Dave is convinced immediately that foul play is to blame. He takes one last look at his hanging friend when the fabled axe swings out of the darkness. The first five or six swings miss Dave completely, and we get this amazing Dave POV shot of Madman stumbling after him in slow motion through the woods. It actually looks amazing because Madman's lit from behind, so he has like a highlight around his full silhouette, and uh, they reuse this shot later, but it's so cool. I love the way he's moving in it. Somehow back at the camp, Stacy senses psychically that something has gone terribly wrong. She suggests the two of them head back to the camp office together. After being such a good friend earlier, Stacy is suddenly very condescending. First, she gives her shit for worrying about TP at all, and now calling her a follower sheep for suggesting they stay here.
0: Well, Betsy, that's the difference between you and me. You're content to sit behind and I'm not. I'd like to know what's going on. I'll see you in a little while.
1: Stacy tells Betsy to wait here while she goes to get the other two counselors. Stacy pokes her head into Billy and Ellie's moaning tent and is shocked to find them engaging in sexual congress. (laughs) Stacy doesn't retract her head, but instead urges them to finish soon so they can head back to the office together. I wish Billy had said, this might go faster if you keep watching. (laughs) Stacy heads back to the camp alone and we see Madman Mars in silhouette, watching her from the shadows. Here is where I think he sounds the most like the heavy breather from Student Bodies. Like, it's getting real overdramatic. Hello, it's me, the heavy breather from every horror film you've ever seen. Stacy hops into a yellow pickup truck, but she can't get it started. She walks around to check under the hood, fiddles with something, and then tries the ignition again. This time it starts up, and we see a relatively normal hand grab the passenger door handle just as the truck pulls away down the road. It doesn't at all match the bizarre goblin hand that we've seen Mm -hmm. thus far with everyone collected at the camp office the counselors decide to split up (laughs) we just all got to the same place now let's all go separate directions
3: everything that we've told everyone so far about not going into the
1: woods alone everyone go into the woods alone (laughs) they split up to search for the now three missing people betsy will stay behind to watch the five remaining children we cut to the natural next step of the film People wandering through trees shouting the names of the three characters we've seen die so far, not including Dippy, who nobody realizes yet is missing.
2: Far too much of this film is spent looking at people looking around in yep. the woods.
1: I, actually, we, they never even realize that Dippy's dead, do they? Do we even I, see his body later?
2: No, I don't think so. No,
1: I mean, unless it's in the basement full of stuff. but Yeah, poor Dippy. Stacy finds Dave lying in the grass unresponsive. When she leans down to check for a pulse, she grabs his shoulders and pulls him forward to find that his head has been separated from his body and stays in the grass as a bloody neck stub tips toward her. She screams panicked and runs away, and we get a quick insert of Dave's contorted blue face in the dirt. I actually really like Dave's face here, and I liked TP's face when we show him hanging. Mm -hmm. After that crackle sound, like he throws his pupils like straight up in his head yeah. and his face is like dark purple. Cause I guess the actor kept strangling himself with rubber bands on set. Cause he wanted his face to look real dark and blue What? because he wanted it to, to sell the hanging.
2: It's a little too method, buddy.
1: He died <laughs> in that documentary. I should have mentioned, they Super found him method. hanging in the tree. still. <laughs> she runs full speed back to the pickup. And again, it's not working this time when she peeks under the hood, it is slammed down hard on the back of her neck, fully decapitating her in the process do you guys recall the last time we saw a thanksgiving slasher character smashed to death by the slamming of a car hood i think i do what was that
2: was it scream no no wait no 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 not scream is um i know it's the one with the kid and the electric guitar and the the paint on the face mistake but it wasn't scream what was the name of that one Richard remembers.
3: I, I don't remember. <laughs> oh,
1: you don't? <laughs> I don't remember. It.
2: <laughs> I know the movie. I just can't think of the title.
1: It's a word and then a second word and then the first word again. Home sweet home. sweet home. home. There you go. <laughs> Billy and Ellie have added Stacy's name to the list of people they're looking for already and they spot the pickup through the trees. They decide to circle around the campfire toward the truck from both sides. On the way, Billy kneels to inspect something on the ground and notices big fresh slashes in the bark of a tree trunk and right beside the slashes, he sees parallel trenches in the dirt, like a deceased human was dragged away by the shoulders. Possibly, he suspects an animal attack. When Ellie gets to the truck first, she finds the madman standing over Stacy's headless corpse in front of the truck and screams. She runs full speed, crashing into Billy, and tries panicked to explain what she just saw. They agree to do all future searching hand in hand, but there's nothing to be found back at the truck. Mars has cleaned up the scene of his crime. There's still a lot of blood dripping out from the head, but, but the, they're looking but the at torso, it from a wrong yeah. angle. Yeah. <laughs> Insane, though, that she's just completely written over this in her brain. Like, I definitely didn't just see Stacy decapitated with a crazy fat man leaning over her body. Amusingly, their plan now is to steal the truck that Stacy drove out here and strand her in the woods if she were still alive. They get into the truck and try again to start the engine, but it's making a strange gurgling sound. <laughs> Billy offers to check the problem and finds Stacy's head under the hood dripping into the engine. He tells Ellie not to look, but she does anyway.
3: Yeah, she not only does she look, she gets out of the car immediately to run around yeah. and see what it is. What is it, Bill? Nothing. Stay in the truck. <laughs>
1: Billy uses a rag to pull Stacy's head off the engine and simply discards it into the bushes. Do you guys recall the last time we saw someone attending to the scene of a decapitation and carelessly tossing a human head off the side of the road? I do remember this.
2: (laughs) I don't know that I do.
1: Is it the children? No. No. Is it a cop who's doing it, right? It is a cop. Yeah. He he picks up the head and he looks at it and he's like, I don't know what to do with this, and he throws it off the side of the road.
2: (laughs) I don't remember this.
1: I remember the scene, but I can't think of the movie. (laughs) Tab Hunter and Divine are talking about it. Oh, it's got to be polyester. Polyester, this is your life, Francine. Smell the fragrant perfume. Ah! Somehow they're still able to get the truck started, but just as Dave prepares to pull away, Madman Mars smashes an arm through the driver's side window and drags Billy out into the night. The car rolls in neutral down the road until it hits a tree and Ellie dives, or is thrown, I can't tell, out of the truck. Just in time to see Madman Mar's lift Billy into the air over his head. I fully expected Billy to get ripped in half like a phone book here. Yeah, but yeah, he just I hear crackles.
3: Yeah, I thought he was going to like go, like do a bane and just like yeah. bring him down over his knees Oh, or sure, like that'd that would be
1: great. Fold him in half. <laughs> we hard cut to Billy's legs being dragged through the wilderness. Richie continues wandering filthier and filthier through the woods. He has no idea where he's going. Somehow he winds up back at the Mar's farmhouse. He watches Mars trudging around the basement with an axe for a moment, and then, when Mars runs back across the yard to collect the next victim, Richie insanely decides to re-enter the house that he already fully explored. You've been in this empty house before, what are you doing? We see him creep down the stairs into the basement, where he stumbles upon some horrifying truth, but we don't get a reverse angle, We keep hearing stabby sounds down here though and only see one grody pair of feet on the floor so it seems clear that these victims that Madman brings home are being hung on meat hooks in the basement. Richie's shocked face here is the one we saw during the Dissolve montage over the first song that TP sang at the start of the film. We cut back to Betsy taking care of the children and then cut immediately away to Ellie sobbing and panicked as she stumbles blindly into cabin after cabin in search of Betsy. Unfortunately, Mars finds her first. As he chases her back through all the same cabins over again, she slams every possible door in his face, but he effortlessly axes or shoulders his way through each of them on their way to the kitchen, where she enacts a Nobel Prize-winning plan. She yanks open the refrigerator and dumps its contents on the floor before squatting inside and closing it behind her. This seems more like a Darwin Award. Right? Yeah. Surely Mars will never guess where she is as he carefully tiptoes over eggs, cheese, and milk splashed across the floor.
3: And shelves.
1: Right do you guys recall the last time we saw someone empty a refrigerator to use it as a shelter from a deadly attack
3: uh
2: i remember talking about the punky brewster episode Mm
1: -hmm. we've had a couple fridge situations yeah but the one i was thinking of was in roar when they're trying to get away from the lions and one of them gets into the refrigerator
2: (laughs) okay brilliant
1: it also happens much later in indiana jones fan film kingdom of the crystal skull (laughs) Amazingly, Mars does not find her here, but she barely gives him a chance to because within 90 seconds she's already stepping out of the refrigerator and tiptoeing through all the darkest hallways to verify the coast is clear somehow. Just when she thinks she's safe, Madman reappears and buries his axe in her sternum. Or it's like right at the bottom of her neck. Mm -hmm. Betsy chooses this moment to go for a brisk walk in the night air and peeks into the cabin where Ellie was just killed. All she can see are bloody legs by the fireplace, and she runs back to the office to make a phone call. No, not to the police. Yeah. <laughs> to Max, the camp's owner, who's probably four pints deep in the middle of a card game and completely useless in terms of potential rescue.
3: She's dialing this epically long number. I was like, no, that's not
1: 911. No, that's too many digits.
2: 911 didn't exist
1: okay. yet. In addition to calling the inarguably wrong person, she really doesn't give him any pertinent information about who's missing or what's going on. She just vaguely mentions what she thought she saw through the window, leaving out the detail of a corpse.
0: (laughs) You gotta come back. There's blood all over the place.
1: Uh, Hold on, Betsy. What are you talking about?
0: I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. It's just blood all over the fireplace. You gotta come back now.
3: I'll be right there. He has his, like, hand... Of cards and he's still still holding on. He's like, he doesn't want to give it up. Whatever he's got, he's got a good hand. Yeah, he's really
1: upset. (laughs) I have to flush this flush. He just stuck around for three more hands, I'm sure. (laughs) Betsy loads up a shotgun and crosses the campgrounds. As soon as she's back inside another cabin, she thinks she sees someone through the window. And when Ellie's face is suddenly pressed against the glass, Betsy hits her point blank with both barrels. (laughs) (laughs) She seems pretty confident that either this wasn't Ellie or that Ellie was already dead because she shows zero remorse for shooting her friend in the face and opening her head. <laughs> Some of the children are woken by gunfire, and she orders them to wake the rest so they can get on the bus and leave.
3: Yeah, so yeah, like the youngest girl opens up the, her cabin door and she says, "Wake everybody up!" Blam! <laughs> just shoot her in the <laughs> yeah, face. <laughs> I thought I was worried going to happen, but the girl, the girl, like she says, "Wake everyone up!" And the little girl just goes eh, and okay. just closes the door. By the way, and, like, there's something out
1: here. I can't, I can't really identify it anymore. Miraculously, the bus starts on their first try, and as she's driving out of the camp, the madman jaywalks in front of her. Even though he had cleared the road completely, she slams on the brakes to bring the bus to a complete stop, and even rises to step out and look for the ship. (laughs) What are you doing?
3: This is not your stop.
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs) Keep going.
1: (laughs) This is where everyone in the theater is like, stay in the bus, hit him with the bus. Mars reaches into the bus, and Betsy is barely able to close the accordion doors on his monster hands. She slaps at him until he retracts them and disappears. Now Betsy makes her craziest decision so far. She tells the kids to drive their own bus back to the police station in town so she alone can verify the deaths of her friends and fight off the madman. When the bus pulls away, Betsy walks through the woods straight to the Mars house. Moving down the entry hall, she accidentally discharges her weapon and draws the attention of Mars. As he closes in with the ax, she frantically attempts to reload and the two struggle against each other for a moment. He catches her hard across the face with his jagged claws, slicing down to the cheekbone. He drags her by her collar down to the basement and drops her on another meat hook on the wall. As she bleeds out, Mars turns away, and she manages to pull a tiny hunting knife out of her belt to stab him in the back. Now, apparently she had this knife the whole time.
3: A lot of them had uh, knives on their belts, including the, the lady counselors.
1: Yeah, I just, like, I feel like we would have hinted at this or we would have seen them use them once previously.
3: Well, I I got the impression that they were all, like, experienced outdoors. Okay. But... (laughs) Wouldn't seem like it. Yeah, Yeah. but it didn't... Like, I I think that that's what they wanted us to think. Yeah.
2: So this is, like, his secret body hiding place, because I feel like if the bodies were never found and they forgot to check the basement of the house Mm -hmm. that he lived in, that seems weird. That
1: is very weird. (laughs) When Madman Mars whirls around disgruntled, he accidentally knocks his work candle to the floor, where it quickly sets fire to a bed of straw. The entire room goes up fairly quickly and through the billowing smoke we can see the rest of the deceased counselors hung on hooks of their own in the corner. This will save Mars the effort of having to smoke the meats himself. Still on the way back to camp, Max slows to a stop when disheveled camper Richie wanders out into his headlight beams. Max rushes up to the kid and asks what happened here.
0: Richie! Man, Mars
1: he's real the camera pushes tight into richie's eyes and we see a translucent overlay panning across the meat hooked counselors as he remembers what he found in the martian basement the shot ends with the skeletal remains of mars's own family from the origin of this legend implying that in three minutes of exploring richie found the mars family remains that the entire town completely overlooked hanging on a wall in the basement (laughs) well we can't identify these bodies it's we don't have the technology. <laughs> it's like those are meat hooks. This is meat. Keep going. Check upstairs. TP's song from the beginning of the film starts again, still with Tony Nunziata providing the lyrics, and it's now more overtly the ballad of Madman Mars. The you guys recall the last film that ended with a folksy ballad that told the story of the film's legendary killer
2: i don't you might have to sing it for me
1: well here i go unless you know it i don't once upon a time on a sad valentine in a place known as henniger mine
2: so my bloody valentine that's
1: right
0: (laughs) once upon a time on a sad valentine in a place known as henniger mine
1: the film ends with a replay of that epic shot of Mars shambling toward camera and silhouette, and we fade to the same tree outline from the start of the film, originally considered for the poster art, and drawn by an illustrator on the film marketing team who was then invited to play the killer himself, Paul Ellers. Yeah, so that's Madman. It's pretty forgettable, honestly. There's not a lot to it.
3: Yeah, it it's a lot of people, specifically one person, lost in the woods. Yeah. Which I don't know how he is is spared or why. Yeah. Uh, I guess just so the tale can be told since he's the one who summoned. Is that, is that the real curse? Is that you summon Mad Men Mars but you get to live and all your friends get to die?
1: I don't know. I, I think my biggest problem with this is the actual characters that they set up because I feel like TP is given the most character from the start. And then he dies the first, first mm-hmm. of all the counselors. No. It's like above the counselors. Okay. But it's like, why did you do that to the character that you were clearly setting up as the partner of the final role? Right. Like, he should have been the last one to die. And then Ellie and Billy and Dave and Betsy are all the same person. Like, completely interchangeable. Who cares? Yeah. There's, there's nothing interesting about any of them. So... I, I, mean,
2: also, I also feel like this movie would be 30 minutes if you cut out all the people wandering around
1: the woods. Yeah, they, they're, they're getting a lot of mileage out of that.
3: It's also one of those movies where I don't understand the rules of what summons Madman Mars. You just say his name
1: above a whisper. Right, but
3: I, I get the feeling that Max tells this story every summer.
1: Yeah, but usually he's not stupid. <laughs> and he doesn't say it out loud above a whisper. Or he just says a different name so that they accidentally yell out the wrong name. Madman Jupiter, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't say it above a whisper. It's the other kid that yells. He right. says it so. above a
1: whisper eventually, because she's like, he's like, Mad, Mad Mars, and the little girl's like, What did he say? And he's like, Madman Mars. What'd you say? <laughs> it's like you just that was above. I don't, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. You just broke your own rule, Max. I own this camp. It's my rules. He should have been Madman Mars, right? The twist should have been it was Max. I think the twist should have been it was Richie because he's the one who's wandering in the same woods mm. the whole time. And I think that it would be really interesting if you came back and did the sequel. And it's like the story is that Richie was blamed for all of Madman Mars' killings. There you go. And uh, he's been in an asylum this whole time. But he managed to break out and he wants to go avenge what happened by going and killing Madman Mars. And as he's exploring the house, he realizes I was pretending to be Madman Mars. That was a ghost story that I took too seriously because I – because someone – spiked a joint that I smoked that night and I killed a bunch of innocent campers <laughs> and then he hangs himself from the same tree and then we fade to morning and you just see it snap and he falls out of it and he gets up and walks away <laughs> just waddles off if thumbs he down away.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay thumbs down
1: thumbs yeah, down it's a thumbs down yeah thumbs down for this one um what are we thinking Letterboxed.
2: you know I feel I feel kind of bad about this but it's currently at the bottom of my list okay it's uh, it's six out of six right now. Just because I feel like the other movies are 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 very bad that are on top of it, but they're bad in more interesting ways. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and and I I think we have the same bottom too. At least Island of Blood and Splits. Yeah. Or, or, uh, oh, you have Aftermath. Aftermath. Though. Yeah, I mean they have more interesting characters. They they do.
2: Well, and 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 if you're gonna watch a bad movie, I think having it be really really bad. Helps it be more interesting. I and agree. This, and yeah. this one was just kind of blandly bad because it, you know, it like just felt that, like
1: they were racing to catch on to this craze that was happening. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. they were just they, they they just wandered around a lot. It felt like a lot of filler in this movie. I yeah. don't think the kills were particularly interesting. Um, and there's
1: nothing that sets it apart from yeah. any other camp slasher. Very
2: very
3: straightforward. Yeah. Uh, I also have it at last place, uh, but which puts it below Island of Blood.
1: Same bottom below island of blood so we all got the same one on this one
3: yeah and you know me with horror films and especially a movie like this which isn't super like scary or or even really all that gory because they cut away from a lot of stuff but
1: uh you know it was just just eh. yeah There there's there's not enough here to bring me back to it multiple times
2: i guess i'm really surprised that there was such a big following of people that loved this movie
1: yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the horror community is really supportive that way and they kind of rally around to anything that they can get a Blu-ray of. Like, it doesn't matter if it's Scream from 1981. <laughs> People just be like, well, you have to admit that this part's good and it's like, I don't have to admit any part of this is good. <laughs> this movie is nothing. There's nothing happening here.
3: What about the mysterious stranger who comes out of the fog? <laughs> yep.
1: Remember when they uh, explain all that? <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> when he just drifts out. It's gone from the movie. This was Madman. It was written, directed, and storied by Joe Giannone. His only other significant credit was as an assistant director on Parts of the Clonus Horror. I was
3: just going to say, I was going to say we were talking about movies. I was like, oh, yeah, Parts of the Clonus Horror. That's another one. Yeah.
1: Uh, Gary Sales was the co-story writer. This is his only writing credit. He has mostly assistant director credits on various films and television shows. The music here came from Stephen Horlick. This was his first composer credit. Later, he scores sci-fi horror anthology series Monsters in the late 80s. Lots of Shining Time Station, but most famously this. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Oh, wow. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. Stephen much,
3: Horlick wrote the Reading Rainbow theme wow. song. It was a much darker song, though, when he originally wrote yeah. it. Butterfly in the dirt, I'm going to go make it hurt.
1: Take a look, a bloody hook, I stabbed a butterfly. <laughs> Although Horlick composed the film, the two original songs and lyrics for the film were written by co-writer and producer Gary Sayles and sung by Tony Nunziata. The cinematographer here was James Lemo. He has a handful of writer-director credits that I didn't recognize. Last season, he was the DP on Miss 45, and he's back later this season with Vigilante and One Down Two to Go. Later, he lights Maniac Cop 1 and 2. The editor Daniel Lowenthal, he previously cut Mother's Day, and he's back this season for Waitress, and one down two to go. Later, he cuts Friday the 13th, the final chapter, Missing in Action, Invasion USA, Silver Bullet, and Alan Quartermain in the Lost City of Gold. Galen Ross played Betsy. She works mostly as a writer, director, producer of documentary content. She was previously Francine in Dawn of the Dead, and later this season, she is Ted Danson's wife in Creep Show segment, Something to Tide You Over. They're the two that are buried on the beach as mm-hmm. the water's coming in. Tony Nunziata played TP. His only other IMDb credit was as Rocker Uncredited in 1975's Deadly Hero. Harriet Bass played Stacy. not much else. Harriet was originally contracted to be the film's casting director, but was asked to step into a role when an actress dropped out at the last minute. Seth Jones played Dave, not much else. Jan Claire played Ellie. She was a nurse in One Third Rock and Franny in A Star Trek Voyager. Tom Candela played Richie. More recently, he shows up as Danny Bartender in Midnight Matinee Psycho which he also directed Second Unit on. Michael Sullivan played Dippy. He has visual effects credits on Little Shop of Horrors, Star Trek V, and the 2021 Mortal Kombat. Paul Ellers played Madman Mars. He was an artist working to design promotional materials for the film when he was suddenly offered the part of the killer. His son was born during the film's production, and he rushed directly to the hospital, still in costume and makeup. Do you guys recall the last time we mentioned an actor playing a serial killer rushing to the hospital still in costume.
2: Well, that sounds familiar.
1: He was cut by a machete on set because for some reason they were using a real machete that on the set. That sounds
2: like a Tom Savini kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, no, actually he stepped away from the franchise for this installment.
2: For this installment.
1: Because he was working so on the burning. So
2: it was Friday the 13th Part 2?
1: That's right. Mm-hmm. Steve Dash, the film's stunt Jason, was rushed to the hospital with a fake machete buried in his shoulder when an actress accidentally slashed his hand open with the non-prop machete. Garrett Castle played innkeeper. We mentioned him last for being uncredited as a rocker in Burnt Offerings, which is probably a mistake because there's very few people in that film. He's also Don in Microwave Massacre, Shrimp in The Video Dead, and an uncredited clown in Private Parts. I think that's everything for Madman. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintagevideopod. If you enjoy what we're doing, consider giving us a review on iTunes. I don't think it helps our visibility, but it's good for morale. And if you really like the show, maybe you should join our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast for access to all our 70s reviews and a hand in choosing next month's film. Patrons are currently choosing between The Great Gatsby, The Sugarland Express, The Super Cops, and The Three Musketeers for a 50th anniversary review next month. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing A Stranger is Watching, which IMDb describes like so. The eleven-year-old daughter and girlfriend—that sounds whoa, wrong. Whoa. This is written very weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna read it exactly how IMDb wrote it. All right, all right. The eleven-year-old daughter and girlfriend of a man whose wife has been raped and killed in front of his daughter three years earlier are kidnapped by the same killer, held captive in a bunker below Grand Central Station. The two plot their escape while the police try to track the kidnapper. It's not a bunker. The girl, the the eleven-year-old girl, is not his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think she was raped and killed. She is. The mother, yeah. She is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They don't don't
2: really show that, but they say it.
1: They say it on the news. That's right. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, A Stranger is Watching. We leave you now with the trailer for that one.
0: New York's Grand Central Station. A million people pass through it every day. Some of them never get out. Because beneath it is another world where a killer can hide, victims can disappear, and no one
3: will ever know.
0: Dad, when are you gonna be home?
3: I'll be there at eight
0: if the train's outside. One minute, Dad. Julie? <laughs> darkest catacombs of the city, a stranger is watching. A whole new vision of fear. I know you're here. Julie, go back! Sean Cunningham, the director of Friday the 13th. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin.
2: $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick
1: a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era.
0: All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFree.com.